All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, book of Jeremiah. That's where we're going to be all day. It's not where we want to be, but it's where we're going to be. Now, I wish in theory, well, I guess I, I wish sometimes, I really do, that I could come here, open the Bible, and just, you know, give nice little sermons so that everyone is happy, but, and go home. It makes my life easier. Everybody's happy. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. But I, um, I'm incapable, obviously, of doing that, which then just makes it uh, miserable for everyone. But I can't, I can't just do that. Uh, I wish I could just go along like, okay, hey, here's like, uh, you know, here's this systematic theology. Here's this confession of faith. You just, you just say what these say. Go along with them. Don't really question it. Or kind of do what many do. Say you have a confession of faith, but you don't really deal with it. You just have it there when someone asks us for your doctrinal statement, but you don't really do much with it. Um, or you never challenge it. You never ask any questions. But I'm always, I, I can't bring myself to do that because I have to constantly ask questions, constantly reconsider positions, constantly try to figure things out because I just, I am not, I cannot believe that at any given time we've got it all figured out. And I, I believe we have to constantly re- question and question and question and question and question. And, uh, I, and because... What we have to do today is going to be one of those situations where it's immediately going to put me in opposition to pretty much a good portion of the entire evangelical world. I mean, pretty much no one's going to agree with me on this. So for those listening online and anyone present, I, and I, I, I don't say this in a mean way. It may come across as mean or rude or, or uh, hateful, but it's not that. I literally have reached the point in my Christian life that I no longer care who disagrees with me. Like, you can believe whatever you want. I don't even care anymore, right? Because I'm tired of the arguing and the fighting and the debating. Believe whatever you want. Now, if you want to argue with me, yeah, I still get frustrated or upset if I feel like someone has not done due diligence, right? Because then I feel like I have to try to argue just to get someone on the same page but um so there because i know that most of the people listening online are about to strongly disagree but in our study of long gospel this is part 34 i believe that this is maybe the absolute most important part of this study that has come before or that will come after because we have to deal with a very uncomfortable subject because we are on what thesis and are looking at the book on law and gospel? Thesis number five. And does anybody remember the last scripture we looked at in thesis number five? It's in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31. Now we already know that this verse has caused already serious problems in this church in the past, yes? Because we got into an entire discussion and we spent six months working, basically six months working on it. If everybody remembers, if you have a Bible, go to Jeremiah 31. Oh man, I wish. Mm. I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. 
I do not want to do this. All right. Jeremiah 31, 31. Now, we, and I know sometimes people don't realize this, but typically we cover something, right? And then later on, we kind of return to the same subject and we advance what we built on in the past, yes? So understanding what I said in the past is almost absolutely essential for me to be able to build on into the future. So if you didn't get it in the past or you missed it, then when, you, when I, all of a sudden I say something in the present, people are like, what in the world's going on? And usually it's like, well, if you go back and listen to what I talked about a year ago, two years ago, you, I've already laid the foundation for this. But remember, when we got to this passage, we, we found ourselves in some very difficult, a very difficult situation, all right? Let's look at the verse. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold... The days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Now, all that sounds wonderful, right? The problem is with the next phrase, right? Next two phrases. With the house of, and the house of Judah. Now, most, and most sermons, they'll say this is the new covenant, Right? And immediately the focus becomes not on Israel and Judah, right? Who does it become on the focus on? Us. It becomes about us. Some will say Israel and Judah are spiritual Israel and Judah. This has nothing to do with the nation. This all has to do with the church. Others will say, well, it has some to do with Israel and Judah, but the focus is still on us because now we're recipients of this new covenant. So some will say Israel gets it, but we get it. Do we get it in the same way? And and we we went through all the different possible. We looked at, what, six or seven different views on on how to look at this. But immediately we started asking some hard questions that most churches, most people would not even bother to ask. In fact, when we started working on it, I couldn't even go to a sermon to say, here are some other sermons that address it. I couldn't find any other sermons address it. I had to go to a paper written for a seminary, right? Which again, I'm always confused. If it's taught in a seminary, why is it never taught from the pulpit? I'll never understand that. What's the point of going to seminary if you're not supposed to share any of the stuff you learn? I don't understand that. But we dealt with it. I'm not saying it was easy. And we, we know it was controversial. It was controversial here. It was controversial online. There was massive disagreement. I understand that. But now we have to come back to this. Because look at what he says about this new, look carefully at the new covenant. Now we we believe, just make sure I establish it, that this was made with Israel. That that house of Israel and house of Judah is clearly a designation for the nation, right? It's even using the term for the divided kingdom. And if you look anywhere in the Old Testament where it says house of Israel and house of Judah, you cannot tell me that that's the church or spiritualize it. Whenever it uses those designators, it's clearly referring to the nation. We made that clear. So we know who it's with. What's the specific? Look, Look at what is promised. What is promised in this covenant? All right. The, the first part is, I, uh, that not, it's not going to be a covenant made with his fathers, right? And so he talks about all that. It's going to be new. He says, this is the covenant. 
I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. It deals with the heart, yes? This new covenant is going to have an impact on the heart. Okay. I want you to just remember that part, okay? Go to Jeremiah 17.9. There's more we could say there about the heart, but that's okay. Because the same language is used elsewhere, which we're, we're going to be, we're going to look at it in a minute. But I just want you to see why we're going to do this is because it mentions the heart. The law is going to be written in their hearts, right? And, and, and according to this, it's going to be written in their hearts. So no, they're, they're not going to even need anyone to teach them anymore, right? They're going to just, it, it almost sounds like they're just going to know it and want to obey the, the law, right? It's what it seems to imply, Okay. Jeremiah 17, 9 says what about the heart? All right. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Is that the two words used? Deceitful and desperately wicked. Right. Do what? Beyond cure. All right. It is messed up. Would everyone agree? All right. So here's what, if you, if you want to take notes today, This is going to become the issue of the day, probably the issue of the week on the podcast, probably going to become the issue for the rest of the month of December, have a problem, it may may become an issue throughout the rest of 2023, probably going to be the the issue for the rest of my life, but that's okay. Here is the question that we have to answer. Are you ready? The heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Is that heart replaced, changed in salvation for us today? Is our heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, is it transformed, changed, made new in salvation? Many, most, 99% of Christianity, reformed and non-reformed, will say, absolutely. And where they will look to is the Old Testament language on, are you ready for it? What do you think it's gonna, they're going to look to? The Old Testament language that refers to the New Covenant. And because we're recipients of the New Covenant, dun, dun, da, da, we get a new heart. In fact, what happens to our heart? Go back to Jeremiah uh, 31. Go back to Jeremiah 31. Go back to Jeremiah 31. It's, it's 31, 31, right? Okay, I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. Okay. Okay. Now, what's the, let's look at everything that relates to the heart. 
supposedly in the new covenant, all the things that relate to the heart. What's the first thing that it says that relates to the heart? Okay. All right. So the God's law is going to be written on their hearts. Okay. Now this seems to be, would we not agree this would seem to be a different writing of the heart because don't we already believe the, the law is already written on our hearts? Yes, and it's already written on everybody's heart. So this is a new writing on the heart, something different here, right? This seems to be a positive writing on the heart, right? Why, why is this writing on the heart positive? Because what is it going to lead to? It's going to write it in their minds and on their hearts. Okay, it's a new relationship. Okay, what else? They no longer need to be taught. They're just going to know. Okay, they don't need to be taught. All right, what else? Say anything else? Anything else there? I'm letting you, you look at it. Okay, they're going to be forgiven. So the main things that relate to the heart, basically it's going to be written on their heart and they're not going to need to be taught anymore. Would you agree that's all that's there? They're going to know God. Right, so they're going to know God. They're not going to need to be taught. Anything else? If you see it, let me know. I'm giving you the opportunity to look and see. Anything else that would relate to their heart? Anything else? Anything else? Everybody feel that they, we've covered that pretty good? All right, now, do this. You have a cross-reference for Jeremiah 3131 or 3132, 3133? In your Bibles, do you have a cross-reference? Just, just in, in, yeah, anything about the new covenant and the heart, do you have a cross-reference that would be connected to that? Okay, you said 3240? All right, that's interesting, okay. Figured you'd end up in Ezekiel, but okay, 3240, tell me what you find. Anything about the heart? Okay, all right, so we have something else. So according to the New Covenant, let's make sure we understand this. God's going to write the law on the heart so that we will know God and not have to be taught. And then 3240, is it 3240? Again, it's New Covenant language, yes. He's going to put what in the heart? Okay, so God's fear will be put in the heart as a result of the New Covenant. So we're going to fear Him, we're going to know Him, and we don't need to be taught. All because of the New Covenant, all right? Do you have any other cross-references in regards to the New Covenant in the heart? There we go. That's the one I wanted. Ezekiel what? Okay, well, maybe that's not the one I wanted. Okay, but, all right, Ezekiel. There's some in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 11, you said? All right, is it a uh, New Covenant language? He says, and, uh, they, uh, and I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them the heart of flesh. 
that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Whoa, that's some serious words, is it not? That's Ezekiel 11, start in verse 19. Ezekiel 11, verse 19. All right, now Ezekiel 11, verse 19. Everybody there? Go ahead and look at that. This is very important. Ezekiel 11, verse 19. We're going we're to be patient here, all right? Now, look at the context. What, what, are the, what are the two things we need to establish here about Ezekiel eleven nineteen? What do we need to establish here? Okay, he's making some promise. He's going to do something for someone. Who do you think it's a reference to? Okay, so this is a promise, restoration for Israel. And verse 15, would everyone agree this is a promise for Israel? Multiple times in this chapter. Okay, so, it's a, and what does he say he's going to do with Israel? Let's go through all of that again. Oh, let's write all, I mean, that, this is all about the heart, right? Now, it doesn't use the new covenant language. Agreed? doesn't say new covenant, but it's clearly about a promise to Israel related to the heart. Agreed? So let's go through everything he's going to supposedly do to the heart in, 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 this, in this section, all right? So we, we believe this is for Israel. I think it's just abundantly clear. It's, Israel's mentioned multiple times in this chapter. You're in the book of Ezekiel, for crying out loud, unless you're going to say Israel's not Israel, and this is the church, okay? But what is it going to supposedly do to the heart? Let's go through each one of them. Number one, are they going to have one heart, which would mean... Unity. All right. They're going to be unified. Okay. Would that not be wonderful? Would that not be great? That'd be one. That'd be awesome, man. Wouldn't that be? That'd be great. No more arguing within other Christians. Next. Everything focused on the heart. Everything's about the heart today. Okay. A new spirit. Okay. Oh, a heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. Oh boy. All right. A heart of stone is gone, a heart of flesh. A heart of stone, you would you would you would relate the heart of stone to which heart? The desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. All right. So this seems to be a new heart. Oh boy. Okay, next. Okay, next verse. Sounds like obedience is a result of this new heart. They're going to keep the law of God. Wow. Now, okay, now stop right here. Let's just ask some basic questions, okay? Everybody, everybody ready to just act like a Bible detective here? All right, what's a good question we should ask ourselves right now as good Bible detectives, good Bible students? Thank you. Has this happened yet? Well, do you know anything about the state of Israel or Israel right now? It still rejects Christ. And
All right. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a regathering before this occurs. Right. So has that regathering occurred? Well, even if you said the regathering occurred, say, coming out of Babylonian captivity, even if you claim that that occurred, clearly all of that heart thing didn't happen because immediately what happens to them? They come back to, into the land, but where do they end up when you open up your New Testament? They're under the control of Rome. And then, then what happens at the end of seven, or the, uh, 70 AD? Was it August? Or I think I remember the day. They get destroyed. And now where are they today? Are they unified? No. Or do, do, do they accept God? Is God? No. They, they're, they're, completely, they're completely in rebellion to God. So clearly this hasn't happened yet. Now, so here's the question. It hasn't happened for Israel. Guess what? Many, if we grabbed a Matthew Henry commentary, guess where he probably would say it, it, it was accomplished, what happened? In us. Now, wait a minute. Okay, wait. It happened in us? I got some questions, all right? First, were we regathered? Immediately, you have to just spiritualize the whole thing. All right, but let's just say, let's just forget the land and forget the regathering. Let's just say, are we unified as Christians? Do we obey his commandments? So then that would seem to indicate that we don't have a heart of flesh. We still have a heart of, now, you see, the minute I say this, oh, all of a sudden I can hear the emails getting ready to be typed. People are going to lose their minds. They're like, apps, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were wrong. People are going to get mad at this. But I, I, look, I can't speak for you, but I have a high, 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 high suspicion that you demonstrate a heart of stone frequently. I would say that your life demonstrates a deceitful and wicked heart. Agreed? So... I, like, where, 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 what do we do with this? Okay, uh, is, do you have a cross-reference from this Ezekiel passage to any other Ezekiel passages about a stony heart or heart of flesh or anything? Okay, Ezekiel 36, 26. Okay, but now look at the context of Ezekiel 36, 26. Do we fee- see any language re- referencing New Covenant? Just look at context. If you don't see New Covenant language, that's okay. I just thought, I wanted to just see if we... Yeah, Ezekiel 36, 26. See what you find. Who's it about? Can we at least establish that? Oh, House of Israel. Oh, House of Israel. Okay, clearly we're Israel. What does he say he's going to do? All right, new heart. It's going to replace the stony heart with the heart of flesh. Okay, does he say anything about obedience again? Oh, yeah, it's very much what's... All right, I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. Oh, yeah. Now, this is back to the land situation. Now, why is that important? Because if we take the land promises as serious, right, then immediately we know this is for Israel. Now, I know the amillennialists and many will try to destroy all of that, but this is Israel language, okay? Do you have a cross-reference for that? 
Do you have anything in, look, do, look, do this if you need to. Look up the, word new, the words new covenant in, in blue letter Bible app or anything else and see if they find something in Ezekiel that refers to the new covenant in the book of Ezekiel. Let's see if we can find that. See if we can find that. Just to see if that new covenant language is found in Ezekiel that would... I cannot express to you how important this is. I don't care how slow we have to be on this. I don't care if it takes us six years. Do we have anything? Okay. All right. Okay. So, do... Okay, what does Ezekiel 16 say? Okay, look at Ezekiel 16, everyone, and see if we see anything about the heart there. We have a new covenant mentioned. Okay, doesn't say anything about heart, but it does say he will make a, a covenant. All right, now, okay, let's do this. In the two passages in Ezekiel that you've already given us, which was with chapter 11, and what was the other one? 36, right? It mentions the regathering and land, Correct. Go back to Jeremiah 31 and look at everything about the new covenant and see if it mentions land. We'll just find it where it, it says that. I know we know this, but we've got to play like we don't, right? I mean, remember, we always got to set aside our previous understanding. Because then we can draw a correlation between the Ezekiel passages and the Jeremiah passage. I'm trying to establish a connection. In Jeremiah 31, we have the whole, he's going to make a new covenant. We're going to get a heart, or he's going to put the law in the heart. Okay? Where does land come into play? Uh, in Jeremiah. He takes them out of the land of Egypt. Okay? We see anything? Do we see anything? Do we see anything? Okay, so we have a reference to the city, not directly, uh, necessarily the land sp- specifically mentioned, but you have at least some kind of hint towards it, right? Because you have the city being built and the city being measured, right? Agreed? Okay. Um, and so I, I think what... I, Okay, right. Well, I mean, it's the idea of being, once again, they're going to be regathered. They're obviously, they're going to be a nation. Obviously, a city is going to be built. So you have some very similar, at least you have enough we can get a, a kind of a connection between this and the promises in Ezekiel 
somehow connected to the new covenant. I'm not saying it's perfect, but just for, for argument's sake, we, we, we can start at least building somewhat of a connection. All right, so let's do this. And there's, there's other passages. We'll get into other passages because we're going to start reading a number of articles. So let's establish. What's the question we need to establish today? Or try to find an answer to today. The question is, is the deceitful heart, the desperately wicked heart, is it changed, removed, replaced, and transformed in salvation? And if so... Does Jeremiah and Ezekiel prove that? Right? We can add a second, we can add a second part to our question. Is the heart, the, the, the depraved heart, is it changed, transformed, or replaced in salvation? And do the verses in Jeremiah and Ezekiel indicate that? Because that's where everyone's going to primarily go, is to Jeremiah and Ezekiel to demonstrate this or to try to prove this. People love to go to those passages of Scripture. They're referenced constantly in sermons. All right? Now, immediately we already know some of the problems with the Ezekiel-Jeremiah passage. What's some of the problems with Jeremiah and Ezekiel? Clearly it's Israel. It's Israel all day, every day, and anyone who says otherwise. You see now why I became so dogmatic in regards to this being Israel? Because if, if, if it's Israel, so many of these problems go away. All right, so. Oh, time frame? Oh, yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of clues here. The regathering, you get the land, like all of these signs that are connected with it. Exactly. So, and if we're dogmatic and literal about that, then it helps us dramatically with this question. Okay, so. So immediately we know the context of these verses and the language seems to apply this to Israel. So that already causes us to go, mm, I'm not so sure if our heart changes, right? Our heart changes, all right? So we have some textual issues to deal with. What's the, but what's the biggest issue we have to deal with here? It's not even textual. It's what? What's the biggest issue we have to deal with here? Well, the biggest issue is the reality of what our hearts are. Right? Look, look, so many, like so much of this, this issue, people love to quote, grab a verse and just quote a verse, right? It, you know what the, a lot of this debate reminds me so much of? It reminds me of dealing with charismatics. Can they find verses that talk about healing? Yeah. Hey, they can talk about it, right? So then they're like, this is what we're supposed to do. They got a verse. And what do I typically say? Well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Just look at the reality around us. Well, Christians love to, to give us this supposed reality of what we are in salvation, but I'm always like, how about instead of arguing with me, you just be honest with what's going on in your own life. So what's the reality of 2,000 years of church history? Everything about us would demonstrate we don't have a new heart. Everything would prove that. Because it seems to insinuate if you have a new heart, what would be the signs of them having a new heart? Well, according to the scriptures we read, is it not obedience? What did you say? It'd be unity? Obedience? 
And not needing to be taught. Not to be taught? I've known Christians for way too long. Give me a break. So immediately, I've got problems here. But guess what? Everyone disagrees with what I'm putting forth. Everyone. You ready to start hearing some articles on this subject? I just randomly started choosing articles this morning to have them ready to go. All right? We'll start with one that's not so dogmatic. All right? It talks about uh, Jeremiah 17.9 and talks about how our heart is wicked and, and deceitful and, and all of these things, right? Desperately wicked. Uh, basically, they, the way they describe it is Jeremiah 17.9 basically says that our heart is terminal and it has an incurable illness. That sounds really good, right? Okay, but look at, look at what happens here. Here we go. They talk about how totally messed up the heart is, how totally wicked it is. They 100% in this article says we are totally depraved. Everything sounds good. We would be like, amen, amen, amen. And then you get down to the last two paragraphs. They spin one, two, three, four, five, six, seven paragraphs about how bad we are. And then... Are you ready for these words? The only hope for the sinful human heart is to be supernaturally changed. Jeremiah 31, 33 gives the solution. Look at Jeremiah 31, 33. Where did they go? Right to the new covenant. Right to the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33, which says... We're right there. First of all, that's just amazing. They, they, they ignore that, right? It literally says in the verse that they quote that I'm going to make my covenant with whom? House of Israel. They literally leave that out. Why do they leave that out? Because they got to be about us. Because this is the solution. It's the solution. And what is the solution? A new, a new covenant that he's going to, but it's going to be what? Okay, let me read how they describe it. Where sin was once inscribed on the hearts of his people, God provides a new inscription. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. They do quote that, all right? But immediately they made it about us, right? After those days, please note, in the house of Israel, after those days, it's, once again, you're saying it gives a time reference. Right? Declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jesus came to inaugurate a new covenant so that the sins could be forgiven and sinners could be born again. A desperately wicked people, we cannot reform our hearts by our own effort. The only solution is God makes our hearts Now, that don't explain anything. That don't explain, well, if we all have new hearts, why do we still sin? That don't explain it. 
I, I love how Chris, and you know what's so amazing is a pastor can say that and everyone in the church will say amen. Then they walk out and go home and sin. The pastor goes home and sins. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't on your drive home, what, what do you think your conversation should be? Well, you've got a new heart. I got a new heart. Kids, if you're saved, you got a new heart. We should be the greatest family in the history of mankind. Nobody has a depraved heart. So you just argued for the eradication of what? The sinful nature. Meaning, you don't have a sinful nature. I don't have a sinful nature. Therefore, what should be the most uncommon thing for someone who doesn't have a sinful nature? Like, that can't, I cannot be the only person to go, this is a problem. We, we can't be the only church going, hey guys, we got a problem here. Or maybe this church, we're just so much sinners that, we're, that it proves that none of us are saved. But the people who talk the big game, you look into their lives, they typically find out that they're not as spiritual as they make it out to be either. Right? Here we go. Let's go to another one. Now we're going to enter into the Reformed world a little bit. We'll look at articles from a Reformed perspective, right? Okay, that's more our world, yes? Okay. All right. Now, let, this is very important. This is very important, very important. Okay. This is very important. All right. Now, I'm going to ta- take off the reform people, and I'm going to take off the non-reform. I'm going to take off everyone before this is over. All right, everybody ready? Okay. Listen to me carefully. If you are someone who believes in free will, right, any form of libertarian free will, this will put you over in which camp? Arminian, Pelagian, or semi-Pelagian? Okay? And I know we have some, a lot of semi-Pelagians who listen to us, and I'm about to offend them, but I, I don't care because it makes no sense to me. What is one of the basic concepts from an Arminian, Pelagian, semi-Pelagian viewpoint? What is one of the basic elements? Is that a sinner, right, that your depravity does not impact your ability to do what? Choose God. That you can believe you can repent based off the freedom of your will. Now, if that is true, then what, what is, take that to its logical conclusion, what does that mean? Well, if I can choose God, meaning my will is not impacted or in bondage to my sinful nature, then why should I be able to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Exercise that will. To not sin. So this, in their case, it doesn't matter what the heart is. The heart can be wicked because the will is somehow protected, which is bizarre because, wait, the will would be a part of the heart, right? But okay, because just remember my independent fundamental Baptist church when I got into all the arguments about Reformed theology, what did they tell me? Man is depraved, but the will is insulated. It is protected from that depravity so that the will can exercise and choose God on its own. 
Now, at the time, I didn't realize the logical fallacy. My thing was, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. How is it insulated? But I should have said, oh, okay, you're right. I I should have said, you're right. You're right. The will is insulated, so everyone in this church should be able to choose what? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Perfect obedience. I've not had a semi-Pelagian or an Arminian explain that to me. If your will is free, then you don't, you don't even need, for them, they don't even need the Holy Spirit. They don't need anything. Yeah, God would not do anything to the will. Right. Well, they say that and then they pray for someone's salvation, which makes absolutely, wait, wait, God can't do anything because he can't touch the, it makes no sense. But remember, and and if you go back to Pelagius, this would be very consistent with Pelagius because Pelagius believed in the possibility of perfect people, even without regeneration. Because you are free from what? The sinful nature. The sinful, he, he completely didn't even believe the sinful nature was there. But semi-Pelagians believe it's there, but somehow the will is kept free from it. If the will, so in that case, for the semi-Pelagian, we, we, really, we don't even really need to worry about the Arminian semi-Pelagian belief, whether you get a new heart or don't need a new heart, because you don't need a new heart, because your will is free. So everybody is, from the Arminian side, the semi-Pelagian side, we don't even need to consider them. They're already, they're already so inconsistent and broken and they're thinking that we don't even need to deal with them. If you believe the will is free, do you need a new heart? I want to make sure we understand that. If the will is free, do you need a new heart? No, because your will can act independently of your sinful heart. So you don't need a new heart. Does that make sense? But in the reformed world, Oh, now, this is important because we believe the will is in bondage to to sin, right? That's why God has to save us, correct? God has to give us the faith. He has to do so. So now the question is, well, then do I get a new heart and basically a new will? It seems to imply that some in the, in the Reformed world seems to say that in salvation, I get a new heart, basically a new will. So guess what? Now what I can do? I can choose not to sin. Okay, let's, let's see how this works. Everybody ready? All right, we're going to read a little bit of this. Oh, man. All right. Is it wrong... To apply Jeremiah 17, 9, about the heart being deceitful above all things, to the regenerate heart. All right? Now, that, that's the question. So in other words, they're saying there's two kinds of hearts. Just even the question implies there's two kinds of hearts. What are they? The depraved heart and the regenerate heart. Okay? So, here we go. Um, I'm just going to skip through here. Okay. Um, hang on. Uh, if I can find exactly, because I want to I make sure here. Um, so, we should not say, this is what they say, 
We, so we should not say of our new spirit indwelt hearts, it is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. So our new hearts, we have a new spirit, we have a new spirit indwelt heart that is no longer desperately wicked and that is corrupt and deceitful above all things. This is as we should say, this is what they say, apart from Christ, I would be deceived. Apart from Christ, I would be corrupt. But I am no longer apart from Christ. I have the mind of Christ by grace through faith. So in a roundabout way, what are they simply saying? We don't have a corrupt heart. In Christ. Now, if, it depends. If you say that in Christ, I'm not corrupt in my position, I would say amen. They're not talking position. They're talking in practicality. That is insane. Do you understand how insane that is? Now, we're going to have to stop because we're at 11. And I know we started so late because of all the technical difficulties. But. Okay. Well, it does. Now, there's scriptures that refer to that, and we'll have to, we'll have to talk about all. They give, they give a list of scriptures we'll have to work through. But every, so everyone just realized, so let's go through this quickly. Okay, so what's the question of the day, of the week, of the month, of the year, probably the next year? Is the heart radically changed, transformed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh? Do we go from a depraved heart to a regenerate heart? And the overall, and just we're just pulling random articles. I mean, I, this just took me like five minutes to just start saving articles into my notes, right? It, it did not take long. Overwhelmingly, they all say, yes, our hearts changed, our hearts transformed. And where do they all go to for their proof? Jeremiah 31, which is immediately maddening to me. Is it not to you? Do you see now why we spent six months Looking at this, we, we would be like, no, 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 that's for Israel. And it's not even something that Israel's even experienced in its fullness yet. The time is coming when all Israel will be saved. That somehow Israel is going to be completely transformed. And the best we can even, con- we don't, I don't, I'm not saying there's easy answers. The best you can do is that has to be in the millennial kingdom somehow. But if it's for us, I've got serious problems. Because I would look at you and like, guess what? Your, your, your depraved heart is gone. It's gone. And so what should be true of you? You don't need to be taught. Yeah, we're, we're in complete unity with one another. Okay? Yeah, you obey. You're unified. You don't need to be taught. And you obey. <laughs> the problem is, it's ridiculous to say those words. Like, how can you preach that and actually be taken serious? I, I, I don't, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Wouldn't it be great news to come to church and find out, hey, like, like I mean, hey, guess what, guys? You're, in self, you're saved. You have a new heart. And I, I'm, oh man, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. 
How else do you explain the, the, the constant presence of sin in everyone's life? And the people who email me will typically demonstrate their sinful heart and how they email me. <laughs> it's like, like, you can't argue with me about this subject demonstrating an, a, a sinful attitude and thinking to prove that you don't have a sinful heart. <laughs> like, yeah, that, you, do you understand the contradiction there? All right, we'll have to stop. We didn't get far. We're going to have to do a lot of repeating in the next hour. This is the only frustrating part. You wish everybody was here for the first hour because we could then move it forward. But we have to, we have to get this down, and I've got to make sure everyone's on the same page. But we'll stop right there. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I, I don't understand. I am confused and perplexed to find myself in a Christianity that tells me that my heart is completely different when everything in my life screams at me that it's not. They would tell me I'm not saved, but I would argue that that's the reality of all of us. Lord, if all I can say is forgive us for our sins, and I pray that through the study of your word, we come to some correct understanding on this very, very serious and important topic. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...